All right, John chapter number 20 this morning. John chapter number 20. And we're going to finish out this chapter today by looking at verses 29 through 31. uh, Really wrapping up the thoughts we began dealing with last week as uh, the Lord Jesus came and spoke uh, to Thomas. And uh, we left off with Thomas's expression of faith, his expression of belief that we see in verse number 28 when Thomas declared these words, my Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. And today we want to look at the conclusion of this interaction of Thomas and our Lord together. And really given what we see is the grand purpose or the grand theme um, of all the written scriptures. And it really reminds us of just how privileged we are to have a copy of God's word. You'll recall as we looked at verses 24 through 28, uh, we dealt with this thought last week, how that Christ drew out of the unbelief of Thomas a certain and sure testimony of his resurrection. Now remember the emphasis there. Christ drew out of the unbelief of Thomas a certain and sure testimony of his resurrection. The emphasis is not on Thomas drawing out his own belief, but rather the emphasis was the fact that Christ drew out of the unbelief of Thomas and gave him a sure and certain testimony of his resurrection. But you'll recall that before Thomas declared those words, my Lord and my God, he replied first of all with this, except I shall see the print of the nails and touch those scars in his hands and side, I will not believe. He needed or desired to see those scars or those wounds. Now remember, Thomas had been present at the raising of Lazarus. He had heard Christ himself say, I will raise from the dead. He now has the testimony of the 10 remaining uh, disciples that Christ had in fact risen, but yet Thomas still would not believe. There is no greater sin than unbelief. Uh, The greatest sin man can commit is the sin of unbelief. It shows us the reality of how stubborn our heart is. It shows us the, the depravity of our heart, our own wickedness. Paul, in his epistles, calls it an evil heart, a heart that does not believe the Lord. And as we learned last week, thank God Himself that He overrules our unbelief and He's faithful to us even when we are not faithful to Him. I'm glad God is faithful even when we are not. But our main subject today is really going to be found in verse 31. And I want to read this together. It says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Now, if you were to pick a key verse of the entire chapter, or entire book of John, I believe John chapter number 20, verse 31, is the key verse to the entire epistle of John. Now, you will not remember this, but I mentioned this verse in the very first message that we preached out of the book of John. I was curious this morning when that message was. 
That message was November 22nd of 2017. That's when we started the book of John. And I gave in that introduction, I gave that that was the key verse. That verse, and I said then, we will eventually get to that verse. And so here it is. We are now at that verse that is the key verse, the entire, if you were to, to, to bind it all together and say, give me one verse out of, the, out of the book of John that sums up why it's there. It's verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. Our subject this morning is very simply that ye might believe. That ye might believe. Now what is it that John is declaring by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? What does John mean by these words or by these that are written? He simply means this, but by the words that were given in the Scriptures, God through Jesus Christ committed through writing everything that ought to satisfy us. And in addition, everything that is abundantly sufficient for our conversion and the confirmation of our faith. In other words, the Scriptures are all that we need to believe. It's not the eloquence of a man. It's not the power, earthly power of a church. It is the words of God, the Scriptures. That ye might have life. By these words, John declares that what God has done through Jesus Christ. Now in these verses, I want to look at two main thoughts today. The first thought is this. True faith depends upon the mouth of God and not upon the eyes of man's flesh. True faith depends upon the mouth of God and not upon the eyes of man's flesh. That's the first uh, heading that we'll look at. The second heading, true belief in Christ as our only Savior is the goal of the doctrine of the gospel and the true account of the resurrection. In other words, this belief in our Savior, that is the goal of the gospel. And the gospel is confirmed, or the doctrine of the gospel is confirmed by a true account of the resurrection. So we have the scriptures, and we have the resurrection. We have all that we need to believe. So let's look at these verses and con consider Jesus' interaction here with Thomas. Verse 29 after this interaction and, and Thomas's words, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So with that thought that true faith depends upon the mouth of God and not upon the eyes of man's flesh, let's consider here verse 29 that we know that there were many people who saw the Lord Jesus Christ before the resurrection. There were many who saw the miracles who even though they saw Him, even though they were witness to the miracles, maybe they were even the recipients of a miracle, there were some who didn't believe and there were some who didn't follow. 
So there's this idea that permeates society that man says, if I could just see him, certainly I would believe. If I could just see him do a miracle, if I could see a sign, I would believe. There are people who were alive in Jesus' day who, saw, who did in fact see it, who did in fact walk with him, but they did not truly believe that he was the Messiah and they did not truly believe that he was God. And certainly didn't believe that he had the power to redeem man by forgiveness of sins. But what Jesus is telling Thomas is that, Thomas, you do have the blessing of seeing me. Notice what he says. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Now remember, he associates Thomas's expression of my Lord and my God by Thomas's being able to see him. Now remember what Thomas's request actually was. Thomas's request was that unless I can see this and I can put the hand, my finger into the print of his, the nails and the thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. But look what Jesus says, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Now we could stop there and we could say, certainly Thomas was blessed by God's grace to have been saved. His, his unbelief had been overruled. He was sincerely uh, thankful, there's no question about that, as a result of seeing the risen Lord. But here's what I want us to consider. Our Lord acknowledges Thomas's faith, no doubt. Look again. Thomas, because thou hast seen me and hast believed, okay, he's, he's acknowledging and, and he's acknowledging that Thomas has faith. But there's a gentle reproof here. Look what he says. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. In other words, he's gently reproving Thomas, saying, Thomas, uh, there are people that are even more blessed than you. The people who are more blessed than you are the people who believe in me, though they've never seen me in the flesh. They believe his word. In this case, Jesus is telling Thomas, it's more blessed to believe the word, Jesus Christ, that you've never seen than it is to actually see him and believe. I bet you didn't know today that you're actually a more blessed person than Thomas that you haven't seen him. See, we think by man's reason, I would rather see him and I would rather put my hand and touch the, 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 the prints of his hand and thrust my hand into his side. And yet Jesus says exactly the opposite. He says, no, it's more blessed to have never seen me and yet believe. Now that leads us to this consideration. That when Jesus is saying that yet there are those who will believe and those who believed on me without seeing me. I circled in my Bible the word they. Blessed are they that have not seen. And I wrote in the margin, you and I who believe. That's who Jesus was talking about. They who've not seen. I've never seen the Lord Jesus Christ with eyes of flesh. My human eyes have never seen him. They've never even seen any part of him. Now, man makes renditions and depictions of who they think Jesus is, what he looked like, uh, what he may have sounded like. None of those things matter. Because we don't, our faith does not depend on what our fleshly eyes see. Our faith depends on the words of God, what God declares, what the mouth of God declares. So what we see happening here is there's more blessing to receive in not seeing 
than actually seeing Him. To believe His Word. To believe the Gospel. To believe His promises. Here, we're being referred to as having this uh, special blessing through not having seen the Lord, and yet we still believe. So, folks, we do a disservice to the Gospel when we begin to question and say, listen, you know, it would, it would really help my faith today if I could just hear God's voice. It would really help my faith today if I could just have a vision or if I could just have a new revelation. Or better yet, if I could see a miracle, then I would have a stronger, blessed belief. Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He's saying you're more blessed that you haven't seen these things and yet you still believe. Because that's the context of what he is saying. Contained within the Word of God is more than enough and sufficient for your faith. In other words, you shouldn't need anything more than what the mouth of God's declared. Man, even in his belief, in his humanity, is always seeking for something more. But the reality is, is Jesus is saying, listen... You don't need me to reveal more of me. You don't need to see more of me. Or that your senses would somehow be aroused that you would understand me greater. No. He's saying, you don't need to hear some divine voice. I've already given you my voice in the Scriptures. You don't need to see the miracles. I've already shown you the miracles in the Scriptures. You don't need to see a sign. You've already seen them. You don't need to hear my voice with your ears because you've already heard my voice as you read the Word of God. We shouldn't ask for anything like that, folks. I believe, and we can, we can uh, disagree on this. That's okay. I believe it's dishonoring to the Gospel and dishonoring to the Lord Jesus Christ to ask Him to give you further signs to strengthen your faith. He's already said... I've given you all that you need. So what do I do when my faith is wavering a little bit? I go to the Scriptures. Some people say, God, really, show me your presence in a way you've never shown me before. Instead, what we should be doing is going to the Scriptures. We go through a difficult time in our life and we, we ask God to give us a sign. Um, we don't need a sign. You already have what's sufficient for not only your conversion, but the confirming of your faith every single day. And you can go to this book at any time. So when I'm in the middle of a day and I'm having a very difficult time, my faith is just struggling with even like some of the things we talked about this morning. I can go to the Word and have my faith confirmed. I don't need a sign. Don't ask for God to reveal more to you than He's already revealed Jesus himself told Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. It's an amazing thing to realize that even if you did see and believe, you will have obtained an inferior picture of what Jesus was actually saying. Now again, he's not discrediting Thomas. Don't make any mistake about it. He's not discrediting Thomas. But he is, again, gently reproving his faith. He's reproving it just a bit, saying, Thomas, even without seeing the print and the nails in my hands, and even without seeing the place in my side, you should believe because of all I've already given to you. That's the idea here. 
So true faith depends upon the mouth of God and not upon the eyes of man's flesh. Verse number 30 and 31 will consider this true belief in Christ as our only Savior is the goal of the gospel and the true account of the resurrection. Now notice what he says, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Many people make the mistake of saying everything that Jesus did is written in the scriptures. That is not true. This is not the entirety or the totality of everything that Jesus did. Now, we don't know why, but there are miracles that are not mentioned in the scriptures. There are sermons that Jesus preached that are not mentioned in the scriptures. There are historical accounts that have been proven to be accurate historical accounts of the life of Jesus where people and men wrote, we heard Jesus speaking and it wasn't anything that's in the Bible. So we make a grand mistake when we say, Jesus, in the Bible, we have everything that God has ever done and we have everything that Jesus has ever done. That's not true. And this is confirmation here. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. John is clearly saying many other signs Jesus did and his disciples saw it. So when we begin to look at Thomas and say, okay, Thomas really only had one chance. Thomas saw many signs that you and I know nothing about. Does that make sense? So we have this idea here that Jesus did even more than that, and yet Thomas was still having struggle with his belief. So again, it kind of discounts that original uh, proposition. Would it really make a man believe or a woman believe if they could see more? And I would say the answer is no, because if anybody had more than enough evidence of signs, Thomas would have had them, and yet Thomas still said, I won't believe unless I can do this. But it's an amazing thing, what's not written. Now, we've got to be careful about this, because many people say, and they make suppositions. They say things like this, well, the Bible doesn't say this, has anybody ever had anybody say that to you? The Bible doesn't say this, but, or I know there's not a scripture for this. However, be very careful about that. Because what starts to happen is we start to add to what we think should have been there. And if you're not real careful, if I'm not real careful, I will begin to build a doctrine out of what's not there. Is everybody following me? This is important. There are doctrines that are being taught in churches that are not there, that are not based upon what has been given to us. Now, Jesus never tells us to go and find historical books and fill in the gaps, right? Our entire faith and practice is based upon this book, okay? So it's not this with a history book. Uh, it's not this with an eyewitness account of, if it's not mentioned in here, this is all we need for our faith. And again, and I, I instruct on this often, remember, even our confession of faith that we affirm is not a replacement for the Scriptures. 
There are, it is to help us see this is what the Bible says. We're going to come across during our studies of the, of the confession as we go along. There are times we're going to look at one another and we're going to say, wait a minute, we don't agree with the confession. We agree with the scripture. Sometimes it'll line up perfectly. Other times there's a, there's a nuance or something that's different there. But this is our final authority. Now, that also means for the believer, this supersedes all other human documents and books. Again, we're living in crazy times. We have people that are saying there are more authoritative documents than this. Now, not to make anybody mad, but this is above the United States Constitution. Okay? It's above it. It's, it's, not, it's not Constitution, Bible. Okay? I love the United States. It's Constitution, Bible. Now that's important. Because that's what my final authority is. Now there may be principles and things I'm thankful for. Right? I'm thankful for the Constitution. But I'm more thankful for the final authority. And everything that God wants me to know that's sufficient for my faith is contained in the Scriptures. So when we read that, and remember, we don't see everything, but we see enough to understand that even the presence of the disciples as they were with Jesus from the time before the resurrection and after the resurrection is being referred to as wonders and works and signs. But we don't know them all. But it is certain, and we'll see this in just a moment, that if everything was written about Jesus or about God, there is no book that could contain them all. If you turn over to John 21-25, the very last verse of John, I can't tell you when we're going to get to this verse. I have no idea. You say this is the next chapter. We should be there next week. Probably not. This is the last verse. And look what it says. And there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one. Let's just stop there. He says there's many other things Jesus did, every one of them. And if you did, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Now we're going to talk about the world and creation today. He's saying the world could not contain everything that he's done. We have heard some absolutely mind-blowing things today with regard to God. This one is just as mind-blowing to me. Because I haven't even gotten to the bottom of this book yet. And so I don't really need to be worried about what's not in here until I master what's in here. And in this life, I'm never going to master this. So what's the point, preacher? Why worry about what's not in there until you master what is in there? That light, something in it. So, I thought my eyes were going bad. I don't mean to be irreverent. I was getting a little nervous. I thought something was wrong with my eyes. I'm glad now I know it's a light. So, all of these things... He said he couldn't even contain them. So when you go back and you look at what John is writing here, he says in verse 31, but these are written. 
Okay, don't worry about what's not written there. There's many things that aren't, but he says, these are written. And by the way, that's more than enough. It's sufficient. Sufficient for what? That ye might believe. So within the word of God, I have more than enough to believe. I don't need any more. Those words that John's talking about, remember, John's not talking about himself as being this wonderful author. He's talking about the inspired Word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit that has written this book. In order to do what? That you might believe. That's the entire purpose of the book of John, that you might believe. Now, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter number 10. It's, it's familiar passages to us usually. Uh, Romans 10, most people who've been saved for any amount of time, they, these are familiar verses, but we'll read them. Uh, Romans 10, the Apostle Paul, as he was uh, writing regarding Israel's rejection of Christ, he uses the Word of God as the evidence for why they should believe. Romans 10, verse 8, but what saith it? The Word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the Word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now, Romans 10, 13 is probably the most quoted verse in all of Scripture regarding evangelism or the gospel. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How do they know to call upon the Lord to be saved? By the Scriptures. Friends, we make a grand mistake when we just proclaim to somebody Romans 10, 13 with no context. Number one, to a non-believer, what does call mean? What does call mean? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You and I understand those, the vocabulary. But what happens when you put Romans 10, 13 into the context of what Paul was saying? The reason what leads a man to call upon the Lord is the Scriptures. Paul says the Word is nigh unto you. The Gospel in which we preach is near you. For Scriptures has said, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. So we need to keep in mind here the reality that even Jesus was telling Thomas and, and John was writing that in order to see Christ, to believe in Christ, we must see Christ as the promised and prophesied uh, Messiah who would come, even as we've been studying in the Old Testament. I also love the account of Philip and the eunuch. If you go to Acts chapter number 8, this is another wonderful uh, illustration of how the Scriptures led to belief. All right, Acts chapter number 8, verses 26 through 40. Of course, this again is the account of the Ethiopian eunuch and his baptism. Uh, but I would say that the emphasis before the baptism is actually on the conversion. Acts 8, verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. 
And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I want you to notice two things. Number one, the eunuch was reading Isaiah, the Scriptures. Reading the Scriptures. Then, notice the word then in verse 29, then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Notice what didn't happen. The order is not, Philip, go first. It was while the eunuch was reading the Scripture. Now that's a divine appointment. Okay? And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Class, what scripture was the eunuch reading? Isaiah 53. Which is the greatest Old Testament picture of the gospel and the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ you're ever going to see. The eunuch is reading the prophet Isaiah. Philip comes and says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless somebody explain it to me? What did the eunuch want explained to him? The scriptures. In his humiliation, verse 33, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this? In other words, the eunuch says to Philip, who is... Isaiah talking about of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began where? At the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. <laughs> Jesus' name is not in Isaiah 53. Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch out of Isaiah 53. For the person who says Jesus isn't in the Old Testament, there's one of the greatest proof texts out of all the Bible that the Old Testament is about Jesus. It doesn't say he turned anywhere else. By the way, the only text, the only, the only text that Philip would have had would have been the Old Testament. And yet, he preached Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know what amazes me here? Philip says, If thou believest with all thine heart. He doesn't tell him what to believe. The eunuch responds, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Where did he get that belief from? He got that belief from Isaiah 53. That's astounding. And he commanded a chariot to stand still, and they went down both in the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and, be ba and he baptized him. So we see here that these words at which John was writing are sufficient not only for conversion, but also for the confirmation of of our faith. 
So as we make an application here, the heart of believing faith is in Christ Jesus. Verse 31, again, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Verse 31 is very personal, that ye might believe and that ye might have life. That is the heart of faith. Eternal life depends upon what you do, even today, what's written in the book of John. In other words, if I was just to take the book of John and you were to read it from John chapter 1 to John chapter 21, all that you need for saving faith is in that epistle. It's all there. That's why somebody often asks, if I'm dealing with a, a person who is a non-believer, what's, what's the best thing I can do? Give them a Bible and tell them to read John. Tell them to read John all the way through. You say, but there's going to be so many things they're not going to see. If you read John, and you've, I haven't mentioned to you, we started in 2017 moving on this journey. If you don't see the entirety of the Godhead, if you don't see the entirety of redemption, if you don't see the entirety of the reason man needs a Savior in John, you're not going to see it anywhere. Because it's all there. And yet, by believing on Christ, who we've never seen... We're told, just like Jesus told Thomas, we have eternal life. To have eternal life, folks, doesn't just mean that you're, when, you go to, when you die, you're going to go to heaven and not hell. That's not all eternal life is. Do you realize that eternal life right now gives you access to the throne of God right, right this moment? The reason that you can go to God with your concerns and your prayer requests and your supplication and your pain and your sorrows is not because God's being good to you. It's through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Eternal life gives you access to the throne of grace. Eternal life also gives you acceptance. I'm accepted before God because of Christ. There's a couple of texts I want us to look that remind us of this acceptance before God and, and dealing with eternal life. I'm going to give you, it's four or five passages. And I think these are all good. If, if you don't have them marked in your Bible, I would suggest that you do. Um, Acts chapter number 2, verses 29 through 36. And this, this is uh, Peter uh, preaching a sermon. And again, for, for people that are in your, scripture, in your Bible, you, these are familiar. I'm not giving you anything new. But Acts 2, verse 29. Notice where Peter starts. He starts in the Old Testament. He says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, who's by the right hand of God exalted? That's Jesus Christ. And having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see, and here. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, 
The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Again, Peter's emphasis is on Christ. Acts chapter number 4, verses 11, or verses 10 through 12. Acts 4, again, this is now the Apostle Peter, a sermon before the council. He begins, or we pick up in verse 10, Be it known unto you all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved." Acceptance before the throne, access to the throne, all through Christ. Romans 3, verse 19. Romans 3, verse 19. Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, now we know, in verse 19, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Paul says, with the law, all are guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is a knowledge of sin. I love these next two words. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested or revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that what? Believe. For there is no difference. Why is there no difference? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Very clearly, our acceptance before God is due to being in Jesus Christ. Turn over maybe a page, Romans 4, verse 22. I referenced this this morning about Abraham. And so we're not going to read the whole thing, but if you pick up in verse 13 and read to the end of the chapter, Paul, as he's writing, is giving, giving the illustration of Abraham. And he's speaking about Abraham in verse 18. You'll, you'll remember this verse, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now I'm glad the narrative doesn't stop here. It doesn't stop at imputed righteousness into Abraham, but it yet gives everyone else who's in Christ hope. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. To whom it shall be imputed if we believe 
on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered from our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Are you seeing a pattern? You see the connection between the belief. You see the connection between this imputation of righteousness. You see that there's no other name which man can be saved than in Jesus Christ. Where are we learning about belief? In the Scriptures. I'm not giving you a philosophy today. I'm not even giving you an opinion. I'm just giving you what the Scriptures say. And yet, even what you've heard today, just in the Scriptures we've talked about, there's enough for man to believe. The final one I want us to look at is 1 John 5. 1 John 5. And again, this will sound familiar as it connects with our passage in John 20. 1 John 5, verse 10. It says this, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. What's the record of the Son? The Scriptures. It's not a historical book. It's the Scriptures. And this is the record. In other words, we could put it this way. This is what the Scriptures say. God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that, ye might know, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. We see very clearly, you may know that you have eternal life. Every person who believes in the name of the Son of God has eternal life. You do not have the right to doubt that. To doubt that is to doubt the record of God. Folks, I'm going to say this. Sometimes we have a really bad way of almost making people doubt their salvation by adding to the Scripture what the Bible doesn't say. We almost talk people out of belief because we present something that is not the record that God has said. What is the record? God gives us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He that has the Son has life and he that does not have the Son does not have life. Don't add to it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are churches, you do all these wonderful things, but then if you don't immediately shape up, you don't have life. No, it says to believe on the Son of God. You don't have a right to doubt the record. I don't have a, doubt, a right to doubt the record. We are not to form an opinion about it, but to believe it. Repent and believe is not repent and then form an opinion. Repent and believe what? Repent and believe the record. Believe the Scriptures. Why? Because the Lord said it. It's right for us to know that God knows what's right. We should never have a question in our heart as to whether or not we are the sons of God. 
What we do have a right to know is we have a right to know Christ. We have a right to know that we are in the beloved because of what Jesus Christ has done. We don't have a right to cast doubt on the record. Now remember, this brings us all the way back to where we started. John, or Thomas rather, had some doubts. And Jesus says, Thomas, it's blessed that you believe by seeing. But it's even more blessed to believe and not see. Friend, that verse, verse 31, as I mentioned to you, that's the key verse. And the very purpose for which this book was written. The question is, has this question been answered? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in His name, you will have life, eternal life? If you have been led to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and to believe that you have life through His name, then why not believe? Only God can give us the grace to overrule that unbelief like Jesus did with Thomas. But I would tell you today, as we conclude this, thinking about the realities, the record says where faith is. The record says what belief is. We need to be sure that we're believing the right record. The scriptures is where we, that's where true faith is found. That's where true belief is found. That ye might believe. Next week, we're going to jump right into chapter 21. And chapter 21 deals with Jesus' appearance by the sea. And also one of the most pointed challenges, I doubt we'll get to that part next week, the most pointed challenges that Jesus ever addresses towards Peter. And so many lessons to learn as we conclude uh, the book of John, and we'll start that process in John 21. As we conclude our time, we'll read from our, for our benediction, our Valley of Vision. Uh, we're beginning chapter number 6 today. And that uh, is entitled, The Act of Approach. It's on page 262. So if you'll find page 262 on those that have that particular uh, version of this. And the title is, Act of Approach. It says, Lord, I praise Thee continually for permission to approach thy throne of grace and to spread my wants and desires before thee. I am not worthy of thy blessings and mercies, for I am far gone from original righteousness. My depraved nature reveals itself in disobedience and rebellion. My early days discovered in me discontent, pride, envy, revenge. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor the multiplied transgressions of later years, my failure to improve time and talents, my abuse of mercies and means, my wasted Sabbaths, my perverted seasons of grace, my long neglect of thy great salvation, my disregard of the friend of sinners. When I confess my guilt 
Help me to feel it deeply with self-abhorrence and self-despair, yet to remember there is hope in thee, and to see the Lamb that takes away sin. Through him may I return to thee, listen to thee, trust in thee, delight in thy law, obey thee, be uphold by thee. Preserve my understanding from error, my affections from love of idols, my lips from speaking guile, my conduct from stain of vice, my character from appearance of evil, that I may be harmless, blameless, rebukeless, exemplary, useful, light-giving, prudent, zealous for thy glory, and the good of my fellow men. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in prayer today. Lord's been good to us all. I certainly think we'd agree with that. And it's been good to be in his house meeting together. Let's stand and we'll pray and be dismissed. Father, we praise you and thank you for this day. We thank you for the glorious truths we have been confronted with this morning. And Lord, I simply pray that as we leave here today that we would think on these truths. We praise you that you have left us a copy of what you want us to know and what we need to know for our conversion and for the confirmation of our faith. Father, I praise you and thank you for this exposition as we've gone through the book of John. And Lord, as we begin to come to the end of it, I pray that you'd help us to remain focused upon your word and what your word has to say to us. And Lord, whether it be over the next couple of weeks or next few weeks, I pray that our mind and our heart would desire to be reminded over and over again that the Scriptures give us all that we need. Father, go with us now in the comfort and peace that only the Holy Spirit can provide. I thank you for each one that's been able to be here today. I pray that you'll be with those who were not able to. Lord, may we glorify you with our lives. May we speak often of our Savior. And may we see souls brought to repentance and belief. We thank you. We praise you for all these things. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I do pray. Amen.